It's Tuesday, January 8th. Welcome to Market Forward. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, it's the Chief Investment Officer. It's Andy Cross. Chris Hill. Thanks Thank for, you. Thanks hey. for being here, man. Thanks for having me, man. Um, so, for those who listened to last week's Motley Fool Money Show, we did our preview of 2019. You were scheduled to be on that show. Um, circumstances prevented that. So, I wanted to get you on today to sort of give your take on sort of how you are looking ahead to 2019. And let's just start with what you're watching in terms of trends. Yeah, I think, well, thanks for having me for that. That was nice. I'm sorry I missed that show. I'm glad to have a chance to talk a little bit. Obviously, investing is all about the future. And when you put cash to work, you're hoping for a return on that. What's interesting with me this year is uh, obviously when the with the Fed raising rates so aggressively over the past year, um, there's there's lots of talk about what is going to happen um, in the future. Um, I'm actually one of those who think that we will see maybe one more increase. Um, I don't th- if we see two or more, I think that would be a little bit of a surprise. But what's interesting for me from that perspective is I think financials. Actually, have an opportunity to rebound from a pretty lackadaisical 2018, looking at 2019. So, when you think about the Fed has been raising rates, which has been good in some ways for the financials and for the larger banks that underperformed or basically performed about the size of the market. I think companies like J.P. Morgan, Markel, some of the financials that are reliant on interest rates, a steady economy, a little. Bit of a Goldilocks kind of moment here. I think financials could have a have a return in 2019. You know, we talk about the big banks every now and then, and I think if if you're someone like me who does not own shares of any of the big yeah. banks, um, then it's probably easy to sort of sit back and think they're doing fine. Right. I'm not worried about Goldman Sachs. They're doing fine. But you look at the performance over the past year for you know as you mentioned yeah. J.P. Morgan Chase, Goldman Sachs like they, twenty eighteen yeah. was not a good year. It was not, and that actually surprised me. I thought they would have a better year last year. Um, you know, obviously Wells Fargo continues to have some struggles there, and they're such large enterprises that it's hard to you know turn on a dime. I mentioned those two. I think a little on the smaller side, one that we follow in um, our small caps, one of our small cap services, NT Butterfield. Bank out of Bermuda. Um, it's a much smaller blank bank. It's only a, a, about a billion dollars in market cap, and they are the dominant player in the uh, Bermuda range when it comes to an area when it comes to deposits. And the stock had done very well, um, but then they got walloped after they came out with some weaker guidance after an acquisition they made. They made of um, some trust business, and that really has hurt some of the expectations. And I see that as a buying opportunity for this bank that I think over the next five years will do pretty well in this kind of environment. So, aside from financials, in terms of individual stocks, what do you have your eyes on in well, yeah, 2019? Thanks, Chris, for that. I think one that I think is just set up to do well. Again, it's on a much larger size. Is Alphabet, the Google parent business? Just when you think about all that they are in, and where they are taking that business, obviously, search, search, and advertising, online advertising, continues to be the huge driver. 
Um, but they're involved in so many other investments they're making. Um, it's a $750 billion business. They have um, about $100 billion in cash. Um, they're making all kinds of investments. Um, their YouTube business continues to grow and I think is probably more profitable than, than what we're seeing. Um, online advertising will continue to evolve and grow. Uh, obviously, a company that size has some uh, struggles when it comes to regulatory concerns. The online advertising market, while it's evolving, is, is, is under some pressure, as we saw with um, the likes of, of Facebook when it comes to privacy issues and what that might mean for the av- online advertising business. But I just like what is going on at Alphabet with the way that they've structured that business with Google and the other um, businesses and the investments they're making in other businesses. And the stock is really not that expensive, so it's one that I, I, I like now. On the financial side, picking back back to the financial one, a non-bank that I like is Market Access, which operates the largest online bond trading platform in the wow. That sounds sexy. It is well. It, it, <laughs> Sorry. You know, with the um, with they are basically trying to um, democratize and open up uh, bond trading, much like you've seen in with with. Um, uh, Platforms and discount brokerages on the stock side is much more complex. It's much more done old school through phones or text messages or emails when you're trying to match up buyers and sellers of of, of uh, corporate bonds and and um, and sovereign bonds and lots of other fixed instrument investments. And they're the market leader. They have the largest market share when it comes to the online um, bond trading. That's a growing market. Um, they're led by their by their founder and CEO, who's the largest individual um, share owner, Rich McVeigh. Uh, I it's extremely profitable. The returns on capital are exceptional. They're growing, uh, and I expect that market to continue to evolve and improve over the next few years. And so, market access is one stock that I like uh, this year and and beyond. Uh, just to go back to Alphabet for a second, uh, obviously the Fang stocks have uh, dominated media coverage for so long. Yes, it is interesting to see with with the pullback that we saw over the last couple of months. A company like Amazon, which is still even with you know the focus is on well, they're down from their highs. Well, they are, but over the past twelve months, it's a stock that's still up about thirty percent. Whereas in the case of Alphabet, I mean Alphabet's basically flat from a year ago. The stock really has it's just basically kind of treaded water here a little bit, and that's one reason why it sells you know at somewhere in the in the um, 15, 18 times earnings, when you think about the amount of cash flow they generate and where they can put those investments into, now they have to make money on those investments over the long term, and I think they will. Uh, so, I think that's a kind of company you can... It, it, again, it's a very large, large company, uh, and it's widely owned, uh, but I think that's a business that you can you can own and be comfortable with when you look at the next few years, regardless of what's going to happen to the stock market in the short term. Who are the CEOs you're watching? Yeah, it seems like we talk about General Electric a lot on the show, Chris. But I think uh, Lawrence Culp, who's the new CEO at General Electric, is one uh, that I'm really interested to watch because they've gone through their their um, various CEOs over the last um, over the last year. Uh, a little bit of a surprise when when um, the, the last CEO was was kicked out after some of the initiatives that he was making. We've talked about this on the show. Um, Larry Culp comes from Danaher here in D.C. Uh, that is um, a fabulous operator, and he ran that organization, um, I think, for more than ten years, and did really well. And stepped down just to kind of take some time away. It's, it'll be very interesting to see how he takes the reins at General. 
General Electric. They, they're selling off their or spinning off their digital business. They announced. So um, I, I'm really interested to see if he can. I mean, this is just a legendary business, Chris. That has just so struggled, and at seventy billion dollars, um, it's just a company that has just fallen from grace. And uh, someone with with I think the talents of Larry Culp to to get the operating units. Going their strength, um, I'm 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 interested to see if he can actually deliver on that. So a year ago at this time, one of the people we talked about was John Flannery, who at the right. time was the CEO of General Electric, right. and I, among others, was praising Flannery for how clear he was being yeah. with Wall Street. He was so open about this is what we're doing. There are no sacred cows at this company. Everything is on the table, and now as you were talking, I thought to myself. Well, as clear as he was communicating with Wall Street and with analysts, I wonder if, in hindsight, he maybe should have done a little bit better job hand-holding the board of directors. Because they couldn't fault him for being opaque. He was very clear, this is what I'm going to do. I don't know. Like I was surprised when he got cut loose in the middle of the year. Yeah, I, I mean, we had said um, we looked at General Electric earlier on. Actually, in one of our services, we shorted it a little bit, and the, the stock was in about fifteen, and now where it's like at eight or somewhere around that range now. Um, <clears throat> when you think about uh, the challenge that that Flannery had in front of him and the way that he was going about that, I thought, hey, this is a guy who has lots of success inside the General Electric family who could who could get this ship going in the right direction, making the changes that people have been talking about for a while. And it just seems that the board, like you said, the board just wasn't behind that. And at some point this fall, it just the uh, when the last straw hit the camel's back and the board. Just didn't seem to be aligned with where that the way that Flannery was either um, taking the business or talking about taking the business, and they thought that was just a little bit too much for the General Electric, and they they went um, towards uh, Larry Culp, who's pretty new to the General Electric um, business. I, I'm glad you used the phrase the GE family in reference to yeah. John Flannery because that is something to be noted about Larry Culp. This is a guy coming from outside the company. Um, it's not to say that's either good or bad, but it is notable. And um, yeah, I think it's it's going to be very interesting to see what Culp does. Yeah, and you know, General Electric for years and years has talked about their management discipline, going all the way back to Jack Welch, and as just grooming these great managers. And I think we've seen over the last ten years that's that maybe not really the. Best way to characterize that when you think about the long term, or just maybe the business was just so dramatic and so big that it's hard to turn, um, especially with the disaster that the financial business turned out to be. But Larry Culp comes from Danaher, where they have their Danaher business system, and that is just an operating uh, philosophy that has worked well for Danaher when it comes to industrial acquiring businesses. Um, turning them into profit machines, reallocating that capital, which is if that's the way that General Electric is going to go and focusing on their core businesses, uh, that might be the way that gets General Electric out of this uh, this deep rabbit hole that it's in right now. Uh, if Larry Culp is not on the hot seat, um, let's just say it's a little warmer yes. than yes. the average CEOs. Yeah. Are, are there other CEOs that you look at and you think, I'm keeping my eye on them because they're, I think they're poised for a great year? Yeah, there's a lot. You know, the likes of a Larry Culp gets and, and um, Elon Musk, and um, we love talking about those in the media as they are um, uh, struggling. But there are, there are definitely CEOs out there that are doing so well. So well. 
just from a day-to-day continue to grow that business. And Mary Dillon at Ulta is one of those ones, um, has proven to be an exceptional CEO of that um, uh, retailer of cosmetics. And the way that they um, add to their stores, renovate stores, tactically will shift their real estate, how they have pushed the online business to be a bigger driver, how they have used their membership rewards now to be able to drive so much more value on a on a per um, member basis uh, and make use of a footprint at a big box retailer that is fairly large in the face of the likes of Amazon and other retailers that are continuing to hunt at Ulta, they have been able to continue to grow and grow pretty nicely, um, and it's 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 exceptionally profitable for a retailer, and they use that capital very well and have a, a very high returns on the capital. So every dollar they're investing back in the business continues to go more and more valuable. So I think Mary Diller, Dillon, she does get get um, some respect, but she's not a household name and she should be. Well, particularly when you consider that for a stretch of time that she has been in the corner office. You mentioned the salon business. I mean, Ulta was doing very well in that, and I'm, you know, I'm sure there were at least a couple of people, uh, you know, in her lieutenants who were like, no, 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 let's just keep going this, and you know, the decision to really push the online yeah. business. Um, was a smart one because they they were this was not a business that was in need of turnaround. This was a successful business, and she was not in any way satisfied with that. She said, "No, there we can be doing more to grow this business." Chris, I think that's very apropos when you say she was not satisfied and she came in. She had she had the membership media experience from her previous roles. Um, she brought that, infused that into Ulta, used that as a um, a new focal point for them to be able to grow their. Uh, Per their sales per square foot, from focusing on the more profitable members tied to their membership business, and using that as a catalyst to drive the online business as well. So they've really they've mastered that in some ways that that omni-channel presence. I think that's been able to keep the cosmetics um, competition and retailing competition at bay. And they've also been able to strike up really great partnerships with exclusive um, brands like Kylie Jenner as well, too. That's been another way to keep Ulta front and center when it comes to their members when they want to use, um, test, and buy cosmetics. All right, before we get out of here, give me one reckless prediction for 2019. We talked a little bit about the fangs. I mentioned Facebook. I think Facebook ends up profitable here for the year. Um, Reckless prediction here, of course, not investing in Facebook for one year. I own own the shares, not investing um, just for one year. Um, But I think the stock at about 140 really hit some struggles. Obviously, um, we've talked a lot about them over the show, uh, over the year on the show here and written a lot about them. Um, I think, I think that. Stock rebounds a little bit in 2019, uh, continuing to 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 figure out how better to solve the challenges they're having, um, and I think they're not done. They have some work to go. And I also, from a reckless prediction side, Chris wouldn't be surprised if Sheryl Sandberg is not there by the end of the year. I think you buried the lead. I think that's the more. <laughs> I think that's be. the more it's, surprising. It's not prediction. my stronger reckless prediction of yeah. the two. So, um, but I think I think Facebook sees a little bit of a rebound in there. I think they they get some things right. It's obvious. It's 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 hit these struggles and they've had some culture clashes. I think internally that's been a struggle. Um, and I think they kind of get that worked out this year. So Facebook, can I go with a reckless, a non-financial, non-stock reckless prediction for you, Chris? Absolutely. I think Ireland wins. 
the World Cup of Rugby played in Japan this fall. They take down the All Blacks of New Zealand. They had a great 2018, and I think they have a shot to dethrone the uh, the All Blacks of New Zealand at the Rugby World Cup held in Japan this fall. Uh, I would love to see that. I can also think of a couple of listeners that we have in New Zealand who are very angry. They might be. Listen, they're a phenomenal team. I mean, like they're like the Patriots, right? Like they're just they're. I mean, it's so. This is this is why it's reckless. This is why it's reckless. It was a great year for them last year in the in rugby. In the wake of last night's. Uh, college championship game. I thought you were going to make a prediction about the University of Michigan. For, for... I, uh, I went there, man. I mean, I just, you know, I just, uh, it's, I, I don't know if Harbaugh is there by the end of the year. I don't, I don't know that, but I was not ready to make that prediction. And uh, listen, my wife, you know, with um, Urban Meyer leaving OSU, we, she said, hey, maybe you have a shot to actually beat. <laughs> Ohio State this year, and so I was going to make that my reckless prediction, but I didn't go there. Somewhere there's an offshore betting outlet that has a pairs bet that they've just created, and it's basically who lasts longer in 2019 in their current place of employment, Jim Harbaugh or Sheryl Sandberg. True. Uh, let's bring in our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd. Dan? Andy, I love your enthusiasm about the Irish rugby team, but I just want to say I don't think it's a reckless prediction to predict that the winner of the Six Nations Cup in 2018 is going to win the Rugby World Cup I, in 2019. Hey I, don't, man, I don't consider that reckless. I don't know. I think the gap between New Zealand and the rest of the world is still pretty high. So I'll disagree with you on that. But thanks for the thanks for the thanks for the call. That's that's like saying that's a saying. Okay, so the number one and number two teams are playing in the Super Bowl. I think the number two team is going to win. Yeah, real reckless. Andy. I don't know, man. I still think like. That's like, uh, you know, nobody thought that the Eagles were going to win the Super Bowl last year. There you so. go. There you go. Although, I will point out, Dan does have experience as a college uh, rugger. Yeah, he, he may know it better than me, but I just think that I'm excited to see, to see if they can take down the All Blacks. We'll wrap up there. Andy Cross, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.